When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is for you, Kings fans, wherever you may be. All the frustration and disappointment of the past is gone. The 45-year drought is over. The Los Angeles Kings are indeed the kings of the National Hockey League. They are the 2012 Stanley Cup champions. Cleared away by the Kings, picked up by Martinez. Martinez to Clifford, feeds it right side to Foley with a shot. Save, rebound, score! Alec Martinez has won the Stanley Cup for the Los Angeles Kings. And royalty reigns again in the NHL. to another episode of making it rain as always my esteemed colleague is in here joe paterino fresh off of dirty dangles in his beer league as we are fresh off a of king's win on thursday night how you doing my man man i'd be better if i finished one of those dangles i'm telling you i had three great days a breakaway a partial breakaway a big old goose egg and we lost by a goal so just don't tell look, me in, you have, look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. It's my fault. Yeah. Don't tell me you have Austin Wagneritis. <laughs> Tonight, I did. You know, it's funny <laughs> you say that because it crossed my mind as, it, as I missed like the third grade. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> Austin, Wags, we love you, man. We love you. You're doing a great job in the rain. And we, we hope you get the nod back up to the Kings here soon. Get some get some work up there. But, uh, yeah. you know, I had to throw the joke out there. I had to do it. So, obviously, Kings are hot. Like I said, we're recording Thursday night right after the win. Seven in a row, rain or hot. I mean, we could not be put, cooking with more gas at this point as a, as a franchise, and, and I love to see it. It's amazing. I mean, I, I don't know how often a franchise and has rattled off. You got two teams in the organization, you know, the NHL and the HL team, unbeaten in, well, undefeated in, what, 15 games? Uh, the rain, I think, have won, what, eight straight at this point? Yeah. Uh, and states still have it lost in regulation. Even their loss was a shootout loss. So they're unbeaten in 10, uh, or, you know, in, in regulation. So it's it's been a heck of a start to the season and really bizarre for the Kings. Uh, losing, well, they lose six straight, and then they turn, turn right back around and win seven straight. So pretty bonkers start to the season over there, too. And I believe Brandon Lemieux is undefeated. This year, this that's a heck so, of a stat. 
you know, and I really like, you know, we won't spend too much time in the Kings because we got to get to the rain and everything like that. We got a big guest coming up for you guys, uh, Scott Wheeler from The Athletic. But man, for that guy, like, I mean, I thought that he had a spot on this team. I thought that maybe he'd be the, the 13th forward, but we've seen with Leas Anderson and Brandon Lemieux and a couple of these other guys last season that the amount, the amount of four checking this team needs to be successful with the skill players that they, they want to bring up, like Kaliev is, you know, uh, is, is essential for this team to win. Especially the way they want to play. I mean, Todd, coach McCollum talked about the start of the season, how they want to be really go, 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 very aggressive, get up and at them. And in order to do that, you got to have guys that are capable of doing that. And obviously these guys are, you know, Lemieux has, he surprised me. He wasn't a guy that I really thought was going to be a factor. I did like his preseason. He did impress me in the preseason. So I thought after watching, I said, you know, this, he's actually looked pretty good in these games. Um, and, you know, good on him, full marks. He's playing well. Yeah, him and Leas bring just something a little bit different to the team. Obviously, Leas isn't much of a fighter, but they're still honorary in their own ways. And I think you need a little bit of that on the team. We can't just be skill, skill, skill. Um, you know, not that we're overloaded, you know, like the lightning of old or, or where the Leafs are at, but it just seemed like we didn't have that part of the game uh, on our team. And now that they're contributing uh, consistently and we're getting, you know, we're hunting pucks, it, it seems like uh, it's benefiting not only the Kings, but when they do it on the, on the rain and keeping up the, the offenses where, uh, where the rain have been as well. Yeah, there's no no doubt about that. And I'm sure we'll get into it here, but the rain have been, you know, and you figure, you know, because the last time we we recorded, TJ Tynan was still with the Ontario rain uh, and he hasn't been there. Um, you know, there's been two games since we've recorded and they have not missed a beat, which, hey, uh, I, I wasn't sure. I mean, he's obviously been the driver of this team, the driver of the offense. And you take that out, you know, how are they going to, how does it go? And they just have not missed a beat. Yeah, that's not missed to be. So for all people that are, aren't, uh, that didn't get to watch or don't have HL TV uh, or just live in a barn, you're the Rainer 9001, 19 points, first place in the division. Stockton Heat right behind at 17 points. So, uh, you know, I don't know when we play the Heat next. I didn't really look that far into the schedule, uh, but definitely, you know, keep in pace with us. And it's, we got to keep the pedal on the metal if we're going to, if we're going to take it to that league. Uh, scoring leaders in the league right now, I know, like while writing this, uh, we had three in the top 10. After a couple of games, we have two, uh, but Martin Furk second in the, in the whole league with 16 points uh, in 10 games. Tynan still in seventh place uh, with 13 points. And I'm going to give an honorable mention to Jad, 10 games, five goals, six assists, uh, 11 points driving that third line. And you should give it, give him credit because he's played very well. Um, and the other thing that he's doing, which I, I don't know, I think it came as, as a little bit of a surprise to me. He's playing on the first power play unit and he's tied for the league lead as of this recording in power play goals uh, with four. So he is, he's putting pucks in the net uh, just as he, we talked about the, in the summer too, you know, his shooting percentage and it's not sustainable and blah, 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 and all that. And I was, I was trumpeting that, but here he is. He's got five goals in 10 games and uh, you know, you're wrong. <laughs> Seriously. No kidding. And for him on the power play, he's, he's, he's had a heck of a start to the season. You know, and, I, and like we said, you want to, I want to continue with the credit for him and, you know, and in saying that we saw that he needed to do what he was going to do for the Kings, which is play third line minutes, you know, be a kind of more of a defensive minded player, have some offense and then find another skill where he can earn some minutes. And he's showing on the power play that you can put him down there 
in uh, behind the net in front, you know, blocking. And that might be a, a place for him to earn minutes. Maybe, but you know, that's Brownie spot typically. Um, but maybe he could find that on the power play too. Um, or next season, if Brownie's no longer with us and to get some of that minutes next year, it's going to be interesting if he can use that skill consistently at, at the next level. You know, and it sounds kind of crazy because the team hasn't lost a game in regulation. They've won eight straight. So why tinker too much with lines? But I, I wouldn't mind seeing him slot up and get some more minutes and play with play with Madden. I think on the second line would be nice to see. Um, I, I, I think that I haven't loved, I think the Madden line has not been quite as good since Turk. I mean, Madden has played really well with Tynan and he's played well with Turcotte. It hasn't quite gelled. It seems with, with uh, Johnson in the middle there. I wouldn't mind seeing job play in the middle there, but again, I, I, you know, there's a need to do that necessarily. Um, It's going well. Jared Anderson Dolan is getting his minutes. Uh, He's doing a very, a very nice job. Uh, at five on five and on the power play, especially. So um, we'll see how, how this weekend goes. Uh, it, it certainly appears that uh, Tynan is not going to be back with the squad, at least from the looks of things. So as of, again, this recording. So I suspect the lineup will be pretty similar than we've seen the last couple of games rolled out, which, as we said, they, they, they've picked up right where they left off, even with Tynan. So um, it's it's we'll see if that second line can bring a little bit more scoring though uh the, that madden line with with johnson yeah tynan should be in, uh, staying with the team in canada all the way through yeah uh saturday so that would leave him out of contention for these these games this weekend uh let's talk let's talk about a player that we haven't talked about all year so far akil thomas seen in a red non-contact jersey at practice uh evidence for everybody there uh, you know, thoughts on him coming back, and we said roughly mid-November to late November, where do you think he slots in? And then if Tynan stays up with the, the, the Kings for right now, depending on COVID protocols, does, is he the 2C if he's ready right away? No question that he could be. He's a guy. So what I love about his game is he is the type of player that can play up and down a lineup and he's, he's extremely responsible. He's not a one-dimensional player. He can play both ends of the ice. He does so many little things well on the puck, off the puck. He is just such a, a, a fun play to watch. And I, I, when I did my, my player previews, I was doing a bunch of the player previews over the summer for the rain, and I, I pulled a quote that Coach Robleski uh, had said about him at the end of last season, and this is a quote he said, he doesn't ever make any mistakes, he doesn't get stopped. He makes four elite plays in a game that maybe go unnoticed. This, this is what he said, because it's a small play, right? It's maybe a bump play in the power play, um, something very small, maybe off the wall. And it's those little things when you're doing those shift after shift after shift. And it's just like, wow, that's a nice play by Thomas. That's a nice play by Thomas. And even if he's not lighting up the score sheet, he's doing so many things well you know, that, that he becomes an important player on your team. Yes. I think he can play second line center. He can play up and down the lineup for the Ontario rain team. And I think because he has that skill set of being able to do a lot of the little things so well already on top of the fact that he's got a very good release, he's got a really good shot. This is a player that, that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if even by season's end, he gets some time in Los Angeles frankly, just because of how well-rounded of a player he is. And he's not somebody that has this, you know, this certain thing or certain part of his game that needs 
so much work that he'd be a liability in Los Angeles. Um, he's a pretty well-rounded prospect, not a star, but a very well-rounded hockey player. His skill set lends it to be bottom six minutes this year. And then as he grows into his scoring touch, you know, you see him potentially being middle six. And so, you know, I, I really think that he could get a cup of coffee and, and still be beneficial to that team. We'll see, you know, obviously health, health first. And maybe after the Olympic break, he, he gets that cup of coffee after, you know, he, he shakes off the rust and everything like that. Let's go yeah. into, uh, let's go into the, uh, knowing that everybody, or let's go into knowing that the AL, AHL player of the week is Martin Furk. Man, can I get that out uh, of my mouth already? Describe his play as of late. I mean, he just stays hot, right? Second, that's, that's second the league in points. Right. He's, and he's smoldering. He is NBA jam hot right now. Like that's he, just, that's what's going on. And, you know, again, he loses TJ Tynan. Not to say that Ferk has obviously been an all-star player without Tynan, but he was such a blazing start this year with Tynan that, okay, you pulled the center off of his line. How does he, how does the production go? He used 10 points in the last three games, four goals, six success. He's, he's all over the place. And he actually made a really good play on, I believe it was either, now I'm drawing a blank if it was Turcotte or Dudas. Um, I think it was one of Turcotte's goals. Uh, just a really good heads up play in his own zone, gets the puck just inside the blue line, goes cross ice, hits Burke in stride and up they go. And it was, a, it was a Turcotte rebound goal. And, um, you know, the play started from once he got the puck in his own zone, heads up play, makes the cross ice pass and up and out they go. Like, so he's, it's not just that he's, and I've called him, I think at times a one dimensional player where he's just a one trick pony, where he just hammers slap shots from all over the ice, which is pretty true, but make, he's obviously effective and, and able to make plays like that, which, which, you know, opened my eyes a bit more that he's, he is, again, he's, a, he's having a really good stretch here and a heck of a first 10 games. Yeah. I mean, obviously we, we always pick the MVP of the week. He would be it for both of us. So, you know, we're going to go on to maybe a, uh, honorable mention or, or maybe who we thought also played uh, a, a very good two games this weekend. Uh, I'll let you start on this one. Go ahead. Who do you think uh, was, was your player? I really like the play of Jared Anderson Dolan. We, we, I know we just talked about him a bit, so we, you know, we'll kind of belabor the point because I, th I think we both feel like he's playing very, very well. Um, but he had two goals last game. Uh, and I just think he's, he's coming into his own and, and maybe he's, showing that last year what he did on an offensive on the offensive side of things he has that capability maybe he can be somebody that produces on a relatively consistent basis in a bottom six role uh and that's awesome uh, yeah, and yeah three goals and three goals in total of five points this weekend yep yeah exactly so he he's playing really really well uh so i'm 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 happy for for the start of the season he's having so he's who i'd go to and i think there's a number of them you could you could go to but that's that's who I'll go with. Yeah, I think honorable mention maybe would be Vladimir Kachev with keeping the assist machine going. Like, I mean, he's he's saucing all over the place. But I'm going to go with Alex Turcotte. Um, you know, we talked about a little bit in our you know interview uh, coming up next with uh, with Scott Wheeler. But you know, Turco has has been you know uh, has been weighted by the fans for so long with how high he's been picking. His scoring acumen hasn't been there. Gets two goals this weekend. Uh, gets put up to the first line, doesn't miss a beat there with what he does best, which is puck hunting and, and getting to the dirty areas and everything like that. Will we see a goal from him outside of three feet this season? I hope so. But I mean, sometimes you just need those to go in and get the confidence going and get some points going and, and get that line drive to, 
to let the other shots fall, uh, you know, when they come. Yeah, I wrote in the rain recap that I did kind of recap in the past three games of the week was, you know, the I don't think rain fans or Kings fans care how or where they go in as long as they go in. Uh, so if he's getting his nose dirty going to the crease to put pucks in, so be it. Yeah, so just to kind of recap, we got a 6-3 win over the Condors. And then, uh, you know, we all, we came in on a 4-3 win over the Eagles there. So keep it up the hot streak. Uh, and, and and is there any other positives that you saw this weekend that you want to mention before we uh, turn it over to the interview with Scott Wheeler? Uh, positives, just, I mean, this is more of an overall, but the power plays looked good. And and they have a power play going each of the first 10 games this season. So it's, it's not necessarily a... a, a a positive strictly to this past week, although it, you know, it still is, but um, for a power play that struggled uh, and it was, it was talked about that, that they struggled last year. Um, they uh, power play goal in every game so far this season. So that's, that's obviously a good, a good thing and a much better start. Yeah. Last, last week we talked about it a little bit. Um, they were in second place last week, the, the team that was in first place only played five games. So limited sample size. Now that there's more games in the bucket, uh, Rainer in first place on the power play with 28.9%. Uh, and so, you know, definitely firing on all cylinders on, on that part of the special teams. And again, even with, with Tynan gone to see it still clicking um, and uh, Vladimir Tikachev's or Kachev is a, a big part of that. He's got five assists since he's been up with or been down with Ontario. So he's obviously uh, doing his part. Yeah, it's been, it's been nice to see. We want to see that uh, keep up and, so up next, we got our interview with Scott Wheeler from The Athletic. We're going to talk all things prospects and drafts and everything like that. So stay around for that. And we'll have the closing remarks after that interview is done. All right, everybody. Welcome back. We have our esteemed guest on, Scott Wheeler of The Athletic. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Awesome. Fantastic. So thank you for coming on, my man. It's a, it's a, it's an honor. Obviously, we've been reading your stuff on The Athletic for, for quite a while, and and now you have a book coming out uh, on the clock, yeah. uh, as well as having a new kid, man. I'm sure that's not the easiest combo uh, for you to pull off. Like, how have both of those been? And, and what's been the best part about being a father and, and writing a book at the same time? Yeah, it's been a whirlwind. I, I kind of start off the book uh, in this sort of introduction, if you will, to the book, talking about how it came together and these looks and comments I got from friends and family when I began to tell them about it. And my wife was already four months pregnant and they were kind of like you better a either get a ton of it done before he comes or b you don't know what you're getting yourself into so it was a lot it's this last 11 months writing the book I tried to get as much of it done if you will before he came so I had about five months before he came to grind through and get as much of it done as I could but even then I was only like halfway through at that point uh, and since then, it's just been, it's been really difficult finding time. I'm also obviously working my full-time job at The Athletic, which has now begun to travel again. And um, so it, I've been on the road a lot more all of a sudden. So it's been, it's been a grind, but it's nice. It's, it's done now. So the manuscript is submitted and it'll be out next fall. Awesome. And uh, now we have a year to 
edit it and do cover art and figure out all the sort of fun stuff that comes at the tail end of the project. So it's been good. And then fatherhood's incredible. I mean, he's six months old now. Uh, his name's Beaumont or Bo for short. Awesome. Nice. Uh, and he's, he's a gem. He's, he's the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I know getting to a fun age there that. too, that six months. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. He's starting to crawl. Um, lots of smiling and giggling and, we're now doing solid foods instead of just milk. So yeah. uh, you get those funny expressions when you introduce <laughs> a new food and all of that. So been there. Um, it's, it's been, it's been, it's been amazing. Just give, if you can go into the book a little bit, maybe a, a short synopsis of on the clock. And so that way yeah. maybe people can look out for when it comes up. Yeah. So it's going to be called on the clock behind the scenes with the NHL, with the Toronto Maple Leafs at the NHL draft. Uh, and originally, they, the publisher had kind of pitched it to me as kind of a full, complete history of the NHL draft, if you will. Uh, and then I kind of went back to them and said, look, I don't really want to write an encyclopedia on the leaps in the NHL draft. Uh, and I'd rather do sort of chaptered individual stories that still start at the beginning and end at last year's pandemic draft. But it's it's going to be really just 20 stories of people, moments in time, uh, this, the sort of actors that have been a part of the leaps in the draft over the years. So uh, dozens and dozens of interviews with former scouts, former players, former picks, former agents, general managers, that kind of a thing uh, to piece together stories and tell people things that they've never done. That's the biggest challenge with the Leafs. Obviously, I'm not sure there are many teams in professional sports period that have been reported on and have had their stories told quite like the Leafs have. So, finding new ways to tell those big stories. You'll, you'll read about Austin Matthews and you'll read about Wendell Clark, uh, but finding new ways to tell those stories. And then also finding stories about people and, and things that happened or didn't happen that people have never heard. So uh, it, it's, it's going to be really interesting. I think it's going to sort of uh, pop some eyeballs, if you will, with some of the sort of, things that I've discovered about trades or picks that didn't happen or players that the Leafs nearly selected uh, that would have changed the course of hockey history and stuff like that. So uh, it, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun once it's out. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, that's awesome. And congrats again. That's, that's a heck of an accomplishment, especially with everything else going on that, uh, and Oh, by the way, and over the past what year and a half or so, there's been a pandemic. So as if you've had anything yeah. else to, to worry about, yeah, but yeah. Uh, that's, that's awesome. Definitely looking forward to that. Uh, I, I wanted to actually touch on a bit with, with the pandemic, how that changed your role and your peers' mm -hmm. roles. Uh, you know, where were you, like before the pandemic, what was kind of a, a normal week for you, if you will, or a month yeah. type of thing? And then versus then the pandemic hits and, and how did that all change for you? And I had to imagine it made things a lot more difficult. It turned everything upside down. It really did. Uh, my job is typical in a typical hockey season. I have a travel budget at the athletic and I spend about half of the year or 40% of the year on the road away from my wife and, and away from Toronto, traveling to tournaments, games, that kind of a thing to tell stories. So obviously that in an instant was over. Um, so I wasn't in the rink. There was no Memorial cup. There was no frozen four. I canceled both of those trips. Um, all of that sort of came crashing down, which changes a lot of things. I, I, when I go to those rinks and go to those tournaments and that kind of a thing, I'm not there just to tell stories. I'm also there to talk to scouts and pick their brains on the kids. I'm there to develop relationships with some of the players. So all of that became significantly more complicated. Uh, and then just my day-to-day -day was instead of being at the rink or being on the road, seeing these kids play, 
I was just watching a ton of video. Uh, so really for a year and a half, it was me trying to carve out two or three days in my five day work week to just sit at my laptop and use the two scouting services that I use to pour over tape and, and watch the kids that way. And then when I wasn't doing that, the other two or three days in the week were spent making phone calls. And I was just found myself on the phone with agents and players and coaching staffs and that kind of a thing a lot more than I would, uh, would be in a typical season. There are some benefits to that. I, I'm a lot more efficient, for example, watching tape than I am spending three days to go see two hockey games played in Michigan or wherever, right? Um, so that part of it, I mean, I can I can rip through a player's shifts in a game in half an hour. This, both of the scouting services I use break down the players by ice time. So instead of me having to watch a yep. two and a half hour game, I'm just watching one player. I'm watching all of his shifts and that's a 30 minute exercise. And in two and a half hours, I can watch five of his games. So um, that part of it became uh, more efficient in a way and just in terms of grinding through video, but the rest of it was completely upended. Speaking of efficiency, did I read, uh, cause in reading your, your kind of guide to scouting, which is uh, fantastic for anybody, by the way, just to Thank kind you. of get pick in kind of behind the, behind the scenes and, and get inside your brain or a scout's brain as to how they're looking at some things. I feel like I read that you did, you work with your laptop in the, in the stands is that, rather than, rather than pen and paper. So can you, what's that process like for you versus maybe some other scouts are doing a bit, a, a bit of a different way? Yeah, it's funny. I, I end up in a lot of these small rinks, Calgary or Traverse City this, this summer, for example, where you've got 200 or 300 seats and they're just filled with NHL scouts. And all of the all, almost exclusively, like 99.5% of those people are still old school, pen and paper. They've got their charts that they build into their paper with their numbered grids and they're jotting down their notes. And, and if you've ever been to a hockey rink, you've seen scouts do that, do it, do it that way. Uh, so I have a tremor, uh, actually, and, and part of the reason I don't do it that way is because I writing with a pen and pencil is very difficult for me. I've had some serious concussion problems over the years, and one of the consequences of that has been a, a tremor in my hand. Um, but I, I honestly like to think that even if I didn't have that, I would still be on my laptop. I think the challenge of a laptop is you. it's very easy to get distracted. I can pull up Twitter. I can... It, it's you, you need to be focused on the game. And if you've just got pen and paper, all there is in front of you is the game. So I've, I've learned over the years to, to cut out those distractions when I'm games, when I'm at games. So it's just me and my stat sheet. And then my, my notes on the players as I'm, as I'm watching. Uh, and then I find it's a lot more efficient, right? If, if I'm not jotting down shorthand notes and writing really slowly with a pen and a pencil, if I'm using the breaks and plays or the face-offs, to jot down notes on my laptop, I can be a lot more detailed. And then at the end of the game, I'm also not doubling my work. All of those scouts go from their notebooks to then having to submit into sort of content management systems with their NHL clubs. They have to retype all of those notes after games to send in their filing, right? So um, I, I just, it's, it's become a habit for me to have my laptop in my lap. Uh, and I really don't mind it. I think I've become really good at, at blocking out social media, for example, as a distraction. So I, I want to come in and, you know, with you being a writer and everything like that and not a scout for a team, how do you, how do you come about your rankings? Is it a little bit of what you're seeing when you're on the ice? Is it all based on your knowledge of hockey or do you use those phone calls that you talked about to kind of affect your rankings uh, when you put out your list every year? 
They absolutely, those phone calls absolutely influence it, especially because I have in my role, I have to watch all of these kids. And in an NHL scouts role, you've got Ontario or you've got Quebec or you've got the NCAA or you've got Minnesota high school hockey. So for them, they're building a list of 20, 30, 40 players. I am unfortunately trying to build a list of, of a couple hundred players, which means a, instead of me watching a player, one of those 30 or 40 players 20 times in a season, I'm watching them a handful of times because there just isn't enough time in the day for me to to watch them any more than that. And B, I I need to lean on people because there are places that I can't get to. Uh, So high school hockey in the States, for example, the broadcast for those games can be pretty unreliable. And I don't use my travel budget at the athletic to get out to Minnesota and watch and watch the high school hockey tournament. There just isn't enough there for me in terms of draft eligible prospects to make it worth worth the money that we're going to spend to send me there. So I spend it on other things. So some of those kids, for example, I'll only watch them once or twice. And that means that if I'm going to have an opinion on them, it can't be based off of those one or two viewings that I've got. It needs to be reinforced with their coaches or scouts who are actually in the area. So it is definitely a little bit of both. At the end of the day, it's my list. It's my ranking. I make the determinations on who goes where and what I value. Uh, Certainly the kids in the OHL, the big names, the kids who are going to go in the first or second round. I am very familiar with those players. In many cases, I've been watching them for years. Uh, But the kids further down and the kids in sort of unconventional spots like high school hockey in the States where there are NHL prospects, but not a ton of them or like some of the smaller leagues over in Europe, I rely on people to, to sort of provide me information or to just tell me, hey, in my league this year, this is the only kid that's worth watching, try and make time for him. And then suddenly it's okay, I can not ignore the rest of the kids there, but I've got info from someone who knows these things that says you need to spend your time on this kid rather than this kid. Yeah, it makes a a bunch of sense, you know, and so draft rankings, you guys come out with those every year. You've been really Mm -hmm. high on the Kings drafts the last couple of years, obviously with them being one of the top prospect pools. How could you not? How do you like the way the Kings have approached the draft uh, from uh, year in and year out? I think they've done a fabulous job the last several years. Part of that is a having high picks, obviously. Part of that is B having a ton of picks. They've picked them and the Red Wings have picked more than anyone else. Um, so th- that adds up over time, even when you have a miss here and there, you're, you're kind of allowed to make that mistake because you're hitting on so many other kids, but a lot of it, I honestly think comes down to philosophy. I think even if they'd had fewer picks or pick lower, I'd still be high on them because even on the later picks, they're finding value. They're finding players that I'm really fond of. And I think they value a lot of the same things that I do. Uh, if I were to pick a team that drafts most in line with my board, it would probably one be the Carolina Hurricanes and then two or three is, is probably the Kings. So uh, I think we just operate on kind of the same wavelength. I think they understand what the modern player is. And in my mind, the modern player, I I think a lot of people perceive the modern player as this sort of track need. Everybody's got to be this incredible skater. And I don't think the game is trending that way at all. I actually think the game is getting slower, especially inside the offensive zone. The game really slows down and then you need, you need problem solvers. You don't need people who are a mile minute. You need people who can slow the game down, process what's in front of them and then make something happen through traffic, which is the most challenging play to make. So those are the players I look for. And I think the Kings are really targeting those players. They're targeting intelligent 
sort of problem solvers, if you will. So uh, I, I'm a big fan of what they've done at the draft. And then on, on defense, where I would say their pool has been a little bit thinner than at forward over the last few years, now suddenly you've got Brant Clark and you've got that game changer. And now you've got the complete sort of holistic prospect pool that every team wants, which has players at the wing, players up front, uh, down the middle at center, uh, and some and some darn good defensemen. And Helge, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about some of these kids, but Helge Grands is having a, a tremendous year. So the, the, even the weakness, quote unquote, on D has has really ironed itself out. And I think they're going to have a really strong core moving forward as a result. Yeah, talking about the most uh, the most recent draft, the 2021. I mean, the Kings had a philosophy of trading picks to move up and and taking yep. you know uh, quality over quantity as as a way to uh, to, to put it there. Where mm-hmm. has there been any particular stride in a certain player that they picked from when you were scouting them last year to how they're playing this year? No, I think I mean they only made four picks if I recall correctly in that draft. Yeah. I think it was Clark, Pinelli, uh, Kersanov, and Hellenius, right? So. Yeah. Uh, all four of those kids, I think, have progressed kind of in line with what you'd expect. I mean, Brant's a, a sensation in my mind. If you guys followed my rankings last year, you'll know that I had Brant higher than eighth. I had him kind of three, four, five throughout the year. So I'm a huge fan of Brant. I, I think he's going to be a dynamic offensive defenseman. I think his the concerns about his skating have been overstated. There's definitely some knee knock there and he really bends his ankles and he looks weird out there. Uh, and he's not the greatest athlete in the world either. I know that. Uh, but everything else is there in terms of how he actually plays the game, his talent level. So I think Branch is going to fill a need. Pinelli has 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 played well. Hellenius is a really unique kind of unicorn prospect. I'm not sure whether he'll ever make it. But at his size, uh, with his sort of rounded two-way game, it's not hard to imagine him as one of those rare sort of Brian Boyle kind of players, those six foot six centers. We typically see players that big on defense, but not at forward. So Hellenius is going to be fascinating to study moving forward. I'm looking forward to seeing what he looks like when he eventually comes over and plays in the AHL and tries to sort of earn a bottom six role. And then Kirsanov, I mean, we'll see him at the World Juniors a month from now, uh, but he's he's a fabulous, smart, modern kind of NHL defenseman. He moves pucks extremely efficiently. He's intelligent. He's calculating. And he's not a super dynamic player, I wouldn't say, in terms of the way that he plays the game. But it's not hard to imagine Kirsanov as a future third-pairing guy who just plays a good sort of five-on-five shift and can help out on the penalty kill and the power play where you need him. But he's probably not a go-to guy there. So uh, there, there's a lot to like about all four of those kids. And I, I think I, I have no issues with any of those picks, honestly. Looking at where the current prospect, or, or the, the older prospects, if you will, playing in Ontario right now for the rain, you mentioned Helgi Granz. This is his first year over. He's off to a pretty good start of the season. Jordan Spence is. is another one who, yeah. on the back end, again, first first time playing in the AHL, he's off to a good start. And I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention some of the, the bigger names, like Alex Turcotte, who I think Kings fans are getting a little antsy on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Samuel Fugimo is another one. And frankly, one of the forwards, not to just keep pumping names at you, but it, it's it's Tyler Madden has played very well this year. In, in my opinion, the production isn't quite there. But as an overarching kind of look at how this these prospects have developed, is there any one of these or two of these if, that you wouldn't mind talking about, in, in, positive or negative, whether they, they've kind of developed and you, you think that they're on a right track or, or maybe not so much? And again, I, I'm going to bring back to Alex Turcotte because I think Kings yeah. fans are getting a little antsy with him. 
Well, it's funny. The one name that that most interests me as kind of the guy who flies under the radar on that team, which has a ton of talent. And I know the results weren't there last year, but they they were still the most interesting team in the AHL last year for me. And the one kid that you didn't even mention there is a kill Thomas, who I think yeah. I, I, obviously he's, he's injured and he hasn't played this year. And it's been a little bit of a, a challenging go for him these last few months, but Akil is a wonderful kid and a wonderful player. And I think he's going to be a sneaky kid in that group where he may not have this sort of name cachet, if you will, of a Turcotte or a Kaliev, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I think he'll become an NHL player eventually. Um, and so he's a player I'd keep an eye on. And then on Turcotte, I mean, I, I was really high, really, really high on Turcotte in his draft year. Had him kind of three to five on my board all year believed that he was a lot better than the sort of injuries and the illnesses that he'd had that year were, were sort of indicating, if you will, he was dynamic when he was on the ice for that team and healthy. And then obviously he goes off to college. The injury bug has just kind of followed him forever. The very last trip that I did before the pandemic in 2020, obviously it really hit in March, but in February of that year, I went to Wisconsin and embedded with that team for a big feature that I did on that Badgers team. And I, I, I lived the life that they lived for a few days. And as part of that, you just couldn't help but notice that Alex Turcotte was walking around with a knee sling on and just there was another nagging injury. So I think that set him back. And, and now that he's back and he's healthy and he's playing again, it, it's just sort of taken him some time to get back to that sort of stratosphere of prospect that I think everybody believed he could be. His challenge for me, since since he was drafted, the big problem he's facing is that he works extremely hard. He's a great skater. He's an excellent playmaker. But he's going to have to find a way to score some goals. And he, he works hard to get to the inside, but I'm not sure he actually has that sort of dynamic quality as a shooter that's going to put some pucks in the net. And if he's not that, he could end up as just a hardworking, playmaking, up-tempo kind of guy. And at that point, you're more of a middle six player mm -hmm. than a top six player and you don't want a top 10 pick to be a middle six guy you want it to be a top six guy so i he's going to be an nhl player i have no doubt i think he's going to be a darn good one i think he's going to wear a letter at some point in his career because of his work ethic and how much energy he plays with um but is the skill level especially as a goal scorer there to merit that kind of a high selection long term i'm not sure it is at this point and part of that's within his control in terms of his game Part of it is just the injuries and the role that they played early on in his career. And he's just kind of playing catch up now. And, and, and it's hard as a top five pick to have the expectations and have things begin to slip a little. So I, I think he'll be fine, but it, it, he may not be the sort of 70 point player that I think some people thought he would eventually be. If, if he becomes a 50, 60 point player, that's still a tremendous yeah. NHL piece, but it may not be a star piece. I'd like to ask if you could, so we hear so often about, we'll use Arthur Kaliev as an example, or maybe even Samuel mm -hmm. Fagimo, who's currently with the rain, but they have a great shot. They're, they're a shoot first or a scoring winger, but yep. their skating is suspect or the defensive zone play is suspect. Their two-way game. Can you, using either one of those, if you wish, as an example, what does that exact, can you break down, what does that mean to a scout? When you see that on a scouting reporter, if you're making that determination that he's great at this, but needs work in these areas, uh, can you kind of touch on a little bit for Kaliev or for Gimo where part of their game needs that improvement? 
Yeah, I, I think ultimately it comes down to that balancing act, right? That classic image of, of the scale for, for everything in the negative column that's dragging him down. You need that much more in your strengths to be able to overcome some of those obstacles. And obviously one of those biggest obstacles is skating. In Kaliev's case, it was absolutely a major problem for him growing up. He looked like he was snowshoeing out there. Like his feet were dragging behind him. Like it was just... It was, it was ugly. It didn't look good. Um, but I think for me, I mean, I had Kaliev 13th overall in his draft and obviously he went in the second round. So I was, I was a huge fan in all of those other things that were propping him up, which is uh, honest to God, in my opinion, one of the 15, 20 best shots on the planet right now, any NHL player, anybody he, that doesn't necessarily translate, but his, the way that he shoots the puck, how hard he shoots it, how quickly it comes off his stick, his ability to shoot it from a one-timer while he's moving from a standstill wrister, all of those things are, I, I hate the word elite, but that's thats what they are. Um, so he's hes world-class in that way. The question is, does everything out, can he, does, is that enough to overcome everything else? And I ultimately settled on yes, but the other issues were, were there. The skating was there and the work ethic. I mean, I watched that kid play in Hamilton again and again flying by pucks giving up on plays bad body language that was all true of arthur i i from my understanding a lot of that is is way better today than it was three years ago but it was a factor uh, and i think it ultimately it led to him falling much further than it, his skill should have allowed him to fall and i still think he's going to be a 30 goal scorer in the nhl and uh, that that may not be a guy who you penalty kill or who you <laughs> trust for defensive zone faceoffs, but you, not every single player. I think NHL sure. clubs fall into this trap where they think that their identity means that all twelve of their forwards or all six of their defensemen need to be these high character types, right? And that's just not not true at all. Phil Kessel won two Stanley Cups, being basically Arthur Kaliev, the, the same style of game, right? So. Um, every team needs that mix. If you're, if he's the guy that you throw over the boards for offensive zone faceoffs and power plays and you play him with responsible players alongside him, he'll be fine. So uh, I'm a big fan of, of Artie and, and the way that he plays and he's a ton of fun to watch. And I know he hasn't fully shown it in the NHL quite yet, but in the prime of his career, when he starts to get 17, 18 minutes a night and, and PP one duty, he's going to score some goals. Well, I mean, we could talk. We could talk about the rain players all night, but let's move into the 2022 draft. Your top 64 list just came out, obviously, uh, with the juggernaut of Shane Wright as first overall. You know, what do you see in him, and where does he rank in like the top the top overall picks for the last five years? Like, where would you put him in that aspect? Yeah, so I mean, the, the last five years haven't been great for first overall picks, if we're being honest, right? You had Nico Hishier, who's a good NHL player, but not a star. You had Rasmus Dahlin, who has really struggled in Buffalo. You had Jack Hughes, who I think is going to be the best of that bunch, but has now dealing with injuries and didn't have the kind of rookie season that he was hoping for. And then you had Alexi Lafreniere and Owen Power. And Alexi is really struggling to find himself with the Rangers. And obviously Owen Power, we don't know yet because he's still in Mich still at Michigan. So I think in that, in, in the context of that group, you probably have Shane Wright and Jack Hughes in the same sort of tier. And then those other four kids in a group below. I probably would have said at the time that Rasmus Dowling also belonged in the kind of Shane Wright, uh, Jack Hughes stratosphere. And I think Dowling could still get there, but obviously it's been a bumpy road for him in Buffalo. And part of that's just that that team is a bit of a tire fire. 
Um, but no, he's, it hasn't been a great five years of first overall picks, but Shane's definitely in the, in the upper echelon of that group for me. I think Shane is not going to be that sort of, he's not going to be Austin Matthews or Nathan McKinnon or Connor McDavid. He's not that level, but I think in the tier below that as a sort of 70, 75 point center, who's excellent at both ends, kind of closer to that John Tavares mold. Uh, he, he can be that kind of a player. And I think he's also going to be an NHL captain someday, which has value in its own way. So Shane's a, a very, very good two-way player who has skill in kind of all areas without having Austin's shot or Connor skating, right? He, he's missing that sort of game-breaking generational quality, but he's a, he's a heck of a player. Do you think he makes an impact on whatever team gets him year one or, or do you think he needs a little bit more seasoning? Yeah, I, I think he'll. I think he'll make the jump next year for sure. Uh, impact. I don't know. The, these kids, I think, are increasingly struggling. Uh, obviously, Alexi and Capocacco, like these kids, are are having a tough go of it. I think it will depend where he ends up. Uh, if he ends up in, say, Arizona, which is at this point his most likely destination, um, he's going to get a lot of opportunity there. But I'm not sure he's going to produce a ton because you, at the end of the day, you need players around you to produce and. There's a reason that if you look at their stats page these days, they're all like four or five point players, 12 games into the season. Um, so I think it, it will be tough for Shane to produce there. But if he ends up in Arizona, uh, who I think are going to finish with the worst odds and then have a one in five chance of, of getting him, uh, if he ends up in that kind of a setting, I think he'll be a very good player for them. I don't think he's going to be the, again, he's not going to score 40 goals like Austin Matthews did or, Obviously, McDavid got hurt in his draft year, but he's not going to have that kind of that kind of impact. Do you think there's a reason, by the way, you mentioned the trend of late isn't that strong and kind of just, you know, anecdotally, you think of Matthews and, and McDavid and you think of Crosby back going back years now that the first yeah. overall picks, these these are such impactful players even early on in their career. We're just not seeing that recently. Do you is there a reason for that in your mind or is it just maybe just a, a, a flow of it all just? I think part of it is that the average level of the NHLer has been raised relative to the era. Uh, back when those guys were coming into the league, the, I think the NHL was still way behind in terms of its understanding of who good players were and who bad players were. Like when Crosby came into the league, there were six foot five defensemen in the league who couldn't skate. And there were fourth liners in the league who were only there to fight. And so that part of it for the Sidney Crosby's and the Alex Ovechkin's, I honestly think made it easier than it even should have been for them back then, because there should have been, there were other players who were playing in the AHL or playing over in Europe who were better players and just weren't getting opportunities. Now the game has changed. The, the most talented players tend to actually rise to the top, which makes it harder on, on the, these kids when they're coming in. And then also, I think it's just the, the talent level of the players the last few years. Like, I think it's going to change. We're going to get stars again. It's it's not the end here. Uh, even next year's draft in 2023, Connor Bedard and Matt Bamichkov are two players in the same draft who are better than any of those six, those last six first overall picks that we mentioned. So we've got two stars coming next year. Um, but I do think it is, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. I'm not sure whether this is the end of first overall picks having major impacts, but it's definitely something that, that, sort of makes you pause at the very least. So, you know, speaking of, uh, you know, players making an impact, the Eastern European players, uh, you know, with Slikovsky and, and Simon Nemec uh, mm -hmm. are, are, are making headways into the top 10 in, in your rankings. 
Uh, talk about those players in a little bit uh, uh, and then see wh- how hard is it to scout those regions? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Slovaks in this draft, it's a bit of a, a, a renaissance, right? Like Slovakia used to be a hockey producing giant. Obviously, it was Czechoslovakia until the early 90s. So they had they were drawing from the Czech Republic and Slovakia and they were a superpower. They were on par with the other great hockey nations in the world. But in recent years, uh, the, the Czech Republic has continued to produce at an okay level. It, it, even it, I would say, has dipped. And then obviously Slovakia has just fallen into this sort of hole, if you will. And they've been surpassed by Germany and Switzerland and other sort of countries that 10 years ago couldn't couldn't stand the test of time against them, right? So that it has, has definitely become a trend with Slovakian hockey. And then suddenly this year, you've got three three kids who are probably going to go in the first round. Two of those kids could be top 10 picks. Two of those kids, frankly, could be top eight picks potentially in Nemec and Slavkovsky. So it's a huge year for them. They won a silver medal this year at at the Holinka Gretzky Cup. Like that is a huge deal for a country that's that small in in terms of the hockey landscape these days. So it's been a ton of fun to watch that and to watch Germany have its coming out party in recent years with Leon Dreisaitl and uh, now Moritz Seider. So there, there's some there's some things happening in in across Europe that aren't just in Russia, Finland, and Sweden, right? Like it's the the game is starting to diversify, which is a, a fantastic thing for the sport. So um, it, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what those those three Slovaks become. And this isn't even the end for the for for Slovakia. Next year they have a kid by the name of Dalibor Dvorsky who's playing in Sweden right now, but is is born and raised and developed in Slovakia. And he's going to be a top 10 pick in the 2023 draft too. So they really have four quality prospects across two drafts. And that has, has not happened in 20 years. Right. So uh, it's, it's, it's nice. And, and as far as watching those kids play, it's a challenge. Uh, last year, I wa- I spent more time watching Slovakian hockey than I ever have before because so many kids from the OHL and so many kids from North America who weren't playing went over and couldn't find spots in Russia or Finland or Sweden. And so they ended up in Switzerland and Slovakia. And as you guys know, Brent Clark spent the year over there. Um, so I, I watched a lot of that league last year. It's a, it's a, I, I hate to say it, it's a brutal league, um, but that doesn't mean it's beyond repair, right? It's, it, there are still good players there. There are former, not former NHLers there, but former AHLers, ECHLers, from North America who go over there and fill the import slots on those teams. Uh, and then now there's, there's some prospects who are worth watching. So it does make it harder for sure to contextualize them and to really get a sense of who they are. There are bigger question marks about those kids, no matter how good they are, just because of where they play and the challenges of, of sort of extrapolating it forward. But it's still a, a ton of fun. I, I love watching Simon Nemec and, uh, obviously, Slavkovsky is playing in Finland, so Slavkovsky is a, a little bit easier to judge. But uh, Nemec and Philip Messar, who are the other two of the, of the three kids in this draft, are playing at home in Slovakia, and it's been a lot of fun to watch them. You've had there's a, there's over a handful of uh, the the U.S. development team programs in in your mm-hmm. very high in your rankings. Can you can you talk a bit about how that program has looked this this class versus kind of some prior classes in the last couple of years that have been pretty strong? 
Yeah, so obviously last year's class was a bit of a low point. Last yep. year's class was an oddly weak group for, for USA Hockey after years of, of producing incredible talent. So uh, I, this, this year is definitely stronger than last year. That is without question. I mean, Matt Veneers and, and those guys are great, but obviously Matt was playing in college last year. He wasn't even with his program age group. So um, it, it's, a, it's a better year than a year ago for sure. Uh, 2019, 2018, 2017, those age groups were, were borderline special in their own ways. Obviously, the, the Alex Turcotte, as, as Kings fans will know, the Alex Turcotte age group with Cole Caulfield and Spencer Knight and Matt Boldy and it, it, Jack Hughes, it was special. Uh, so this age group isn't that either, but there are four or five kids on this, this year's team up front and two or three kids uh, on the blue line who are legit sort of first round guys. Uh, Logan Cooley is the best of the bunch and will be the first uh, player from that group selected in this year's draft. He's a kind of that five foot 11 center in the Braden point kind of mold where he's a little bit small to be playing center, but he's a brilliant skater, which point wasn't at the same age. He's a brilliant skater. He plays hard. He's excellent defensively. And then he's got a ton of skill when he's using that speed. So uh, Cooley's a really interesting player. I don't think he's going to be a star, but he'll be a top six player in the NHL. Uh, and then they've got a bunch of little tiny kids who are fascinating. Uh, they've got a five foot eight defenseman on the blue line named Lane Hudson, who may go late first, early second. And we never see defensemen that small pick that high. Uh, so that speaks to how intelligent he is and how smart and crafty he is out there. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a long list up front. Isaac Howard's another small kid who's really talented. Frank Nazar is another small kid who's really talented. Uh, Rutger McGrory is is a kid who I'm actually working on a story right now on, and he's a bigger kid, like six foot two, two hundred pounds kind of thing, uh, power forward type who who has some skill. So uh, it, it's an interesting group. There's a little bit of everything there. There is I would I would say though there isn't a goalie like there's no Spencer Knight for example, um, but uh, up front and on D it's it's a good group. Yeah, well, you know, we want to thank you for your time. And we got, you know, one question here before we, before we say goodbye. And obviously with how deep the Kings prospect pool is, you know, the look, they're looking to probably draft unless they take trade this pick away. You know, in the middle 10 of the first round, uh, if we make a run maybe a bit later than that, I know ranking shift as the season goes along and players make pushes. I know the World Juniors is a big tournament to watch that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, evaluate. But is there a player that maybe you have a in mind in your middle 10 rankings that that could add something to a prospect pool that maybe we don't already have or would be the best complement to the players that we do have? Well, I think it's hard to add something new with a pick like that, just because the only thing that would really change the dynamic in the Kings pool these days is like another top five selection because they've got a lot of those B tier prospects. And that's probably what they're going to end up with in this year's draft, assuming they don't trade it. Um, but the, the two names that honestly come to mind are those two kids, uh, those two smaller American kids that I just mentioned, Ike Howard and uh, Frank Nazar. Those two kids, I think, belong in this sort of top 10 conversation in this draft, but I don't think they're going to be picked there. I think come the end of the year, their size will ultimately result in them kind of going in the teens rather than sort of 10, 11, if you will. So those are kids on talent that I think, A, the Kings will like and be more into a swing in the, in the middle of the first round as a potential high upside playmaking type. And because they have so many kids with the rain right now who are 
entering the, the league or fighting to enter the league over the next couple of years, drafting a kid who's college bound, who's maybe three or four years away, may not be the worst thing for the Kings. They, they can afford to do that and give a kid some time in college to become one of the best college hockey players uh, in the nation and then bring him on. So uh, Howard and, and Nazar would, would absolutely qualify on both of those fronts. So those are, those are probably the two names I would, I would look out for. Okay. But, yeah. I was going to say, I, I really want to appreciate the, the, thank you again for your time. We really appreciate it. And the last, last one for me, it can be brief because we don't want to spoil it. Your, your world junior projection rosters uh, and, and projections for the, the tournament yeah. just came out. It looks like there's eight Kings that are pro- sprinkled throughout the tournament on the rosters yeah. from, from your projection. So that's fun for, for Kings and Reigns fan. But if you want to just give a quick uh, kind of a preview for that, uh, for that piece. Yeah, I mean, this year, it's kind of the same story that it usually is. I think the Canadians are the odds-on favorites. I actually think this is a weaker uh, Team USA than we're used to. Uh, it's going to be certainly, I mean, they won gold last year. They're, they're not going to be that team. I, I think it would be a surprise if this Team USA won gold. That doesn't mean they won't medal. I think they're they're going to be in that silver-bronze conversation for sure. Uh, but it's this is really after a few years of it being all Sweden or all Canada, Finland, and the USA, those three teams had won all six of the last golds. Sweden is finally going to ice a team that I think is capable of winning the gold medal. So that in particular is what I'm really, really excited about because the Swedes, we all know, they talk about it every year, had this incredible run of 20 something straight games in group play and they had no after finishing first for basically a decade in their group they didn't have gold medals to show for it so I think this team has the chance to do that again they have a chance to finish first in that group with USA and Russia in it and it's a very difficult group but I think Sweden's the best team in that group and then I think they're the team that has the best chance to give Canada a run so I'm really looking forward to watching them and for for the Kings perspective Helge Grands will be a huge part of that and one of their first if not second I mean Simon Edvinson is the big name on D but if Simon Edvinson is the crown jewel on D Helge's probably their second or third best defenseman so uh, really looking forward to watching him in a prominent role as well. Well, again, I just want to thank you for coming on. Obviously, Scott Wheeler of The Athletic. Go subscribe and, and get your subscription to The Athletic to read his brilliant pieces. I, I was a fan of the Wisconsin piece uh, and thoroughly as far as, you know, learning about that kind of thing. So I, I think you really have some quite interesting takes on on what a story should be and, and how you write. So I really appreciate all the content you. that you put out. Um, you can follow him on Twitter and, and, and through The Athletic and his writing. And please, when his book comes out, keep an eye out for that. Go buy the book and and take a look at all those interesting stories. So I really appreciate that. Thanks guys. Thanks again, Scott. All right. Welcome back, man. What a great interview from, from Scott Wheeler there. We want to thank him again for coming on the pod. I know Joe and I, we mentioned it multiple times, are fans of his work in writing. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite pieces that he did mention was the Wisconsin piece um, where he went and rode with the team the whole time and got the whole, you know, saw where they were in the dorm, saw all the practices had full access to the club, which, you know, writers hardly ever have from that capacity. And and it was kind of cool to have that full inclusive story, which, uh, you know, was one of my favorites that he's written. Yeah, that was great. Um, that was really, it was really cool to talk to him too, because as a little bit of a, I don't know if, if I consider myself a hockey nerd necessarily, but a hockey lifer, just hearing a scout guy that, that does that for a living, kind of break down how he sees the game, um, was really cool and what he looks for 
And for anybody that's interested, his guide to scouting is fantastic. It really gives kind of an under the hood look as to, you know, some of the things that he, and you hear some, and he talks about, you hear some common terms thrown around hockey IQ being one of them. Like what exactly does that mean? And he kind of goes into a lot of that stuff. So really, really great interview, really good, uh, uh, good to talk to him. He does awesome, awesome work for the athletic. Yeah, man. So, I mean, there was a couple of points that he hit on that we both liked, um, you know, what, why don't you start with your favorite part and, uh, and then I'll go next. So I want to, there's a quick one that I thought just from a pure scouting standpoint with a, that I took note of that I thought was very interesting because for me, um, I always, I've kind of figured the way the game is going that, that if you can't, if you're not a strong skater and by strong skater, I don't necessarily mean the fastest skater, but if you're a good skater, that's bare, you have to at least have that to be able to somebody make an impact. And, you know, he actually said that the game in his view is kind of slowing down a bit more and you've got to have more of a processing when, especially when you have the pocket in the offensive zone, which I thought was a very interesting take. And, and it's, I, you know, I, I, I think it's interesting. I, I really like that thought. What, uh, Russian, as a, what Russian player does that remind you of? <laughs> <laughs> Come well, on, sir. T-Mac, get him back in the game. Get him back in the game. Tika Chev right. is playing 4D chess out there. You know, like, let's. <laughs> Let's uh, let's get him back up at the big club. There's not a guy that slows it down more uh, yeah. when he gets when he gets the puck. But I thought that was a very interesting take. You don't hear that. I've I, it's not something that I've heard kind of talked about on in mainstream, if you will, even in some certain articles. But um, I thought that was interesting. But from more more of a rain perspective, he really got into um, you know we talked about Alex Turcott as you guys heard, and I don't know. I think that's it's a very interesting that he's obviously been a guy that's been unlucky with injuries and. A, he's still in Ontario and I know rain fans and Kings fans, maybe a little antsy that he's not with the big club, but I don't know that. And I don't know if you agree or not, but I don't know that he's, I don't, he should be just given a shot with the Kings. I don't know that not to say he hasn't earned it and he's not playing well, but I I'm, I'm perfectly fine with them giving him more time to season because I think he still could use it. Um, and I want to I, I make a point on that. Like when yeah. you said it and he mentioned it as well. And, and maybe why first overall picks have been struggling lately. One, as he said, the crop hasn't been as good as in recent years, but two, the league as a whole has gotten better. And he mentioned how, when Crosby got in the game, you know, the whole fourth line was all enforcers Right. And all this kind of stuff. And now you have skill players that have defensive acumen playing on the fourth line. And so it's harder to break into the league on a successful basis right away. And I think this might be where maybe player development is going to play a huge, a huge role on teams going forward. As you see, the Kings uh, have have hired a whole goalie team. It's just not Bill Ranford anymore. There's a whole goalie team. They have guys that are just doing ECHL. But just working with Jason, uh, Jacob Bingham in the ECHL and, and the U.S.-born goalies. And then, you know, they're breaking it down to where, like, those players are getting more one-on-one. -on -one. And we might see, as we see this year with Lucas Raymond, have that development in the SHL comes in here, and now he's dominating this rookie year with, I think he has 16 to 17 points, where you see first-round picks like Alexis Lafreniere struggling. Nobody would have taken Raymond over Lafreniere if they were in the same draft year. And, and you look at... And you look at now that like success at that happening. So is opportunity, is player development, sure. all those things going to play more of a factor than just where you're drafted. And I just wonder if some of these guys, uh, listen, some of them are playing perfectly. They're playing just fine. But, you know, he mentioned the Rangers where, you know, Lafreniere and, and Kako are, are kind of struggling again. 
And, you know, could they have, would they have been better suited to start in the NHL? I don't know. But from a Turcotte standpoint, you know, I don't know, are Kings fans and this is, this is an open-ended question. I don't, I'm not having, I don't know what, what the answer is or if the reason is one, it's more of an opinion. Does a 50 to 60 point maybe caps out as a second, maybe second line player. Is that work for Kings fans with Alex Turcotte? Is that what they were expecting? Um, or were they expecting, you know, 70, 80 point player uh, from Alex Turcotte, who's a first line talent and an all-star perennially? I don't know. Um, I, I, I think obviously when somebody's picked fifth overall, I think your, your expectations immediately go to the peak. Um, but that's not always going to be the case, but if he develops into, and, and, you know, Scott mentioned it, that he certainly thinks he's going to be a solid, at least at the very least NHL player, middle six, and probably somebody that wears a letter. I think that's certainly somebody that's, that's worthy too, but I, I don't have a problem giving him more time. Uh, I really don't. I, I don't, again, I think he's played fine in Ontario, but I don't know that it's, he's blowing the doors off the walls that he needs to get called up. It's not a hundred percent like a p- comparison here, but what if he's filled enough? Has a high motor, skates pretty well, forecheck, backchecks all the time. Pretty, you know, pretty good on the assist. Uh, two hundred foot player. I mean, I don't know if he has the quite the defensive acumen that Dano has. Obviously, being that he's a Selkie finalist, but that type of player to where he's just driving line, coursey, 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 and he relies on other people to finish. You know, he, still, well, he, he impacts the game positively, but he's not, he's not an 80 point guy. Right. And that's the, that, the, that's the, that's the thing. And, and now whether or not he can be a guy like Phil Deneau, who's one of the top defensive player forwards in the game, that remains obviously to be seen. I don't know if that, if he'll get there, but to your point, if he can still be somebody that contributes in multiple ways around the ice, you know, he can still be somebody that, that lives up to where he was drafted. Um, but again, I, I'm perfectly fine with him staying in Ontario for a bit longer. I kind of think I kind of think of it almost in the in a in a baseball aspect where they have multiple levels, right? So last year was his first pro year. He called it, you know, single A. You got double A coming up, he was and, hurt then, again. and then hurt again, and then you know, him getting 99 games, which is the threshold for a lot of first round picks in in the NHL. We talk about failures of picks, which we don't want to. We don't think Turcotte's going to be a failure by any means. But that first threshold, once he hits that, and then second threshold of 200 games, and then seeing where his – I mean, he could be – like, you look at Kempe's over 200 games, and he's still 24. Like, you could have him over that threshold where he's a, quote-unquote, successful pick, and then he has to develop into his own game where he's well, – where we see he's – is he between 50 and 70 points? You know, he still has a lot of time to, to find his offensive game and really rely on all the stuff that he's really good at and still be a, a, a driver of play, you know. I, I know fans don't want to hear that. Fans want to see him lighten the lamp and dangling through his legs like Zegers, but I think both players can be successful, and people not need to stop comparing them. I think I think what the Kings fans need, uh, not to put any added pressure on a number two overall pick, like or <clears throat> Byfield's got to be the guy because I think it'll ease a bit of the, the, the antsiness of Turcotte and frankly, Velarde too, for that matter, if Byfield steps in and he is that ace centerman. Yeah. If Byfield's the 90 to 120 point guy that we think his roof could be, it, it, it almost doesn't matter who else is on the team at that point. Cause you have that elite number one guy, the top 10 center in the league, you know, it, it 
everywhere else, you know, slots in, you can always find people in free agency. I think there's more, definitely more pressure on Byfield. I, I, I think my favorite part, I'm a prospect nerd. I really like, I've been researching it, um, you know, through no fault of the Kings, I guess, because after they, they started selling every way, uh, piece away, I, I had nothing else but to do during the summer besides <laughs> research prospects. And I really found it fascinating, not only last year with the German players, but now this year with the Eastern European players, the Slovaks and the Czech players that are in the top 10, let alone the first round. Uh, it hasn't been done in a long time, like, like Scott said. And just how like different leagues are finding ways. Last year, it was highlighted the German uh, national team has been sponsoring schools to have a like almost a German uh, school of play. I mean, people talk about how Finland doesn't matter when you left Finland and when you come back, you're brought up playing the same way. And so when they play in the national team, it's almost like they have a hive mind of continuity almost instantly, right? So I think it's interesting that the German school last year is, is bringing their team up and they're starting to become a bigger powerhouse. And now you've seen the Slovakian and the Czechs and, and everything like that having higher level players. A couple of them are playing in, uh, one's playing in Finland. So they're playing high level. He said the, the athlete next year playing in the SHL. So it's nice to see that these other leagues are there and, and having that scout and that range. And then it also makes the mind that the NHL athletes are back in the Olympics. You know, we could see those smaller level countries raised back up to a level to where the, the, the pools every year are, are deeper, more upsets. It's just better hockey, in my opinion, when you have more coming in. It, the USNDP program has done wonders for the USA game. And so I wonder if other countries are following suit and in kind of that way, kind of having like in a school mentality. He didn't really say that for the Slovaks, but maybe, you know, it's starting to catch on and definitely for Germany and it could catch on in other small countries to maybe have that school of thought to help funnel hockey players through their program. The German program has been one that's kind of fun to watch over the last few years. They had the run in the, uh, was it the Olympics before where there was uh, not the, um, the NHL players weren't there. They made a deep run with Marco Sturm as the coach. Their, their world junior team has been fun to watch. So it's, it's nice to see another non-traditional, I guess, if you will, kind of step in and, and really start to grow the game in their side. Uh, because that's, I think it's, it's always good when you get somebody else in the mix and, um, particularly when they can pull off an upset or two, too, uh, it makes it a bit more fun, but yeah, it is cool to see what the Germans are doing. So, you know, we're talking about, other countries and everything like that. The World Juniors is going to be here this year. He, he mentioned that a little bit at the end. Kings, he has eight Kings slotted in as, as making the teams. You know, we don't know if, you know, one of them is Quentin Byfield. Is he going to be on the Kings at that point? Are they going to let him get some AHL time, let him go to the World Juniors, make sure he's 100% from that injury, and then maybe in January call him up? We don't know yet, but we'll say roughly eight guys. Um, Joe and I love the World Juniors. I think a lot of hockey fans do. And so, for you guys right here, we're going to deep dive into all the, the guys that we think might make the team or or will go deep into that World Juniors. And so give them kind of a deep dive on the Kings prospect himself, how well he's doing this year, what he brings to his national team, what kind of game does he play. And I think it's going to be a fun little exercise. So, you know, deep into some prospects um, coming up in the next couple of weeks. What do you think about that, Joe? I think that sounds great. I think it's going to be a good lead into the tournament. And, you know, when you got, you know, close to double digit potential players uh, making rosters for the Kings prospects, it's going to be a fun tournament. Every there's a Kings prospect in every team. So every game you watch, you could see somebody, uh, somebody playing. That's a lot of fun.
Yeah, always, always somebody to root for, you know, whether you're Canadian, you, you know, United States or you're from another country. If your teammate playing, you got somebody to root for, you know, when you're, yeah. you're wishing your prospects. And I know I did that last year, you know, as like Casper Simon's highball scores a goal. You're just like, yeah, all right, cool. Like that's King's guy. That's you're always King's checking. Like, yeah. You're, you're always checking, just checking the box score. Yeah. It's like, Hey, was that, was that, uh, was that so-and-so over there? You're like, Oh yeah. All right. Yeah. Bjornfoot with a nice block. So yeah. it was, uh, it was something good. You know, obviously team USA won last year, um, team USA all the way. And then we had Kaliev and Turco on there and Brock Faber. So we had three guys on that team. It was definitely some, uh, some fun to watch. And like you said, Canadians are all, the odds on favorite. They usually are every single year because let's face it last year, they had, uh, everybody on the team was a number number uh, first round pick besides two players, one being Jordan Spence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so they usually have that deep of a pool every single year. But he's saying that, you know, this year, the, the, the Swedes would give them a run for their money. Helge Gron should make that team. So it'll be interesting how they um, how they do this year and, and where the other teams slot in. Yeah. And Helge is somebody I'm really excited to see. We've talked about him a lot on this on this show dating back to the summer too about you know he's he's a guy that's getting his feet wet in North America he's going to get plenty of time and we'll see how that translates now as he makes it as he gets over to the world juniors and starts to play against some younger guys um with Sweden to see how he plays kind of in that environment yeah you know Scott thinks he should be the first pair at worst second pair on that team so definitely somebody to take a look at other names you know that we're going to be talking about would be you know Casper Simon Tybal possibly Atu Jamsen uh, Kirill Kirasanov. So there are plenty of guys there. And then may, we might have some honorable mentions that are, you know, players on the fringe, um, you know, kind of like Francisco Pinelli. And, and so we'll see, we'll go there. It should be a lot of fun having a little prospect corner or something like that coming up. So uh, Joe, if you have any, nothing else to say, man, I think we're we'll calling quits here and, and, uh, and hope, you know, see uh, hopefully two more wins for the rain starting tomorrow. Yeah, I just, again, want to thank Scott Wheeler for his time. He was awesome guest, great to talk to, and I, I had a blast talking. I could talk to that guy for hours about scouting and hockey, and it's it's uh, it was a blast, so thanks to him. Yeah, so upcoming games on Friday and Saturday, we're going to go back-to-back. They're in Tucson, so if you have nothing to do this weekend and you want to drive out to the desert to see the Roadrunners in the rain play, please do so. Uh, otherwise, you can see them on AHL TV or just follow the, the litany of uh, – Twitter post to see who's scoring at all times. Uh, Joe, always a pleasure, my man. I know uh, you need some rest after that hockey game tonight, and I need some rest just because, man, I've been pumping out podcasts left and right, man. So let's just <laughs> keep it up and and uh, time to hit the head to the belly, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Have a good evening. All right. Catch you, man. See you.